Hi everyone, this is Marsha, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, CocoPod. Consider the aromatic CocoPod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. CocoPod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend, offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes. Hi, I'm Celeste Mohammed, Trinidadian short story writer and author of Pleasant View, a novel in short stories, which is set in the fictional town of Pleasant View. Pleasant View is an invitation behind the scenes and off the resort into the towns and villages where the ordinary Trinidadians live and where their lives may not be exactly what you tourists might expect from the Caribbean. Pleasant View was first published by Egg Publishing in the US in May 2021. And then the UK version was published by Jacaranda Books in uh, September of this year. It seems like so long ago, really. And since then, I've been very pleased, happy, grateful, surprised by the way the book has been embraced by uh, the Caribbean American community, by the, by actually by Caribbean people all over the entire diaspora, really. So it has given me hope and encouragement to continue writing about Trinidad and to continue highlighting the realities of life here in Trinidad. Today, I am going to be reading for you from one of the stories. It's a story called Loosed. And it was actually the winner of the 2017 John D. Gardner Memorial Prize for Fiction. So I hope you will enjoy Loosed. That's what you're wearing? Ruth asked. Declan had known his wife would be watching in her dressing table mirror as he left the bathroom. Watching, waiting to criticize. He'd known. And yet he went ahead anyway. He chose a pair of faded ripped jeans and a green stag t-shirt with the slogan, a man's bear in fat white print. It was his opening salvo. What wrong with this? He avoided Ruth's eyes as he sank to the bed to pull on his loafers. Declan is a church service. What will Bishop and the elders think? Left shoe on. Well, in the Bible say, render your heart and not your garment. Right shoe on. No, that's not what it, Declan sprang up. Listen, my clothes wouldn't matter to Christ, only to fake ass Christians. He glared at the mirror where their images were frozen. So let's see which kind we're dealing with tonight. Today was their wedding anniversary. 
Ruth had asked him to go with her to night service at Pleasant View First Holiness Revival Church, a Pentecostal circus, just like the one his grandma used to drag him to as a boy. Ruth had often invited Declan to church. He'd refused every time. But today, he had to go. Going to church together was what decent couples did to mark fifth anniversaries. This was what was expected. To not go tonight would be an outright announcement to everyone in Pleasant View that he and Ruth weren't the upstanding schoolteacher couple they appeared to be. He and Ruth had been the first in their families to earn degrees. He, chemistry, she, English. They'd been the first in their families to get married, not like his sister Judith, who'd shacked up with her kid's father for seven years until he left to work in America. Declan and Ruth had been the first to move out of the ghetto, even if it was just across the traffic lights to Hibiscus Park. Every time they went back to Pleasant View to visit friends and family, it was as if those people in the dark were seeing a great light. Morning, miss. Morning, sir. Everyone greeted them by their schoolteacher titles. But it was hard being a shining example. And every so often, it demanded a sacrifice, like tonight. You know, Bishop predicted you would behave so. Ruth said, resuming whatever it was she did these days at her dressing table. Declan stared at the reflection of his wife's face, a 42-year-old woman who no longer wore makeup, perfume, or jewelry. All those little telltale signs of effort, they signaled to a man that his woman still craved him. To Ruth's church, though, they signaled the sin of vanity. Tonight, Declan would show those damn church people how little he thought of them. They weren't even worth a pair of slacks and a dress shirt. And he would expose them to his wife. He would use this opportunity to finally make her see these saints were just plain old sinners in sheep's clothing. She was better off without them. A few years ago, Back when her name was still Michelle, she'd actually changed it because hell was in the middle. This business of getting dressed would have gone so differently. Declan would have readied himself first, then rushed into the living room to wait. He would have been watching TV half-heartedly, eager to see her emerge from their bedroom, to see what she'd done this time. What dress? What hairstyle? What color lipstick? What shoe? The slutty platforms that made her taller than him or the black strappy ones that made her feet look like they had on lingerie. His pulse would have matched the rhythm of her heels down the corridor. When she finally appeared in the living room, though, he would have played it cool, dragging his eyes from the TV. She would have stood in the usual spot between the love seat and the single chair where she knew he'd have an unobstructed view. Then she would have asked casually, you're ready, Deck? He would have smiled and nodded with his reply, not as ready as you, babes. Now he dropped his eyes from the mirror and walked over to the dresser for cologne. Ruth held the bottle out 
as if she was doing him some great favor. He took it, making sure not to touch her hand. He wished he could, though, and wished that by that one touch, he could exorcise Ruth completely from Michelle's body. Then, then he would have a reason to go to church, and he would hold her hand the whole time, thank Jesus with all his heart, then take her to dinner afterwards. A fancy knife and fork dinner, just like old times. God knows. He and Ruth hadn't gone out together in what? Yes, two, three maybe. He knew the things people said, how they called him understanding for letting Ruth pursue her path, even though he believed differently. The truth was, Declan had been betting all along that Ruth's faith was unsustainable. An experimental flash of fire, like that trick he did in the science lab. Potassium, permanganate, and glycerin, poof, over. With time, though, an uninvited blackness, like mold, had overrun his hope. This might not be a passing phase. This might be a transmutation. His wife, Michelle, might be permanently gone. In her place, this Bible-thumping freak named Ruth. Why you have to be such a damn goopy all the time? Declan snarled at her. Who cares what your precious bishop predicted? And where Greg could wear anything I want? He had sensed himself growing desperate lately as this fifth anniversary approached. He hadn't known what to do right up until 15 minutes ago when he was in the shower. That's when he decided tonight was the night. He would bring Michelle back, shock her, talk sense into her, ridicule her. He takes some action tonight. Yes, but I didn't expect something so demonic, Ruth replied, stabbing another pin into the coil of hair at her neck. She seemed to flinch and then bleed a smile like she was enjoying a medieval penance. Teclan let out her long, juicy stoops and left the bedroom. This was why he needed his outside woman, Trudy, a normal, sane female to balance off this madness. In the corridor, he had a wicked thought that made him veer into the living room to squint at the seedy rack. Ah, there, dance hall mix. A disc he'd bought on a whim about a year ago at the Pleasant View traffic lights from a scraggly boy named Silence. Declan had listened to it scornfully at first, had endured the merciless bass, the cussing, the crudeness, punani this, copy that, right, right, right. It wasn't really his thing. He was a smooth, sophisticated man, a jazz and R&B kind of guy. He kept listening to this CD, though, because at the time, he'd felt like he needed to. All over Pleasant View, young fellas were in their cars, pounding out these styles, and in clubs, pushing up on girls to these beats, and in their tiny bedrooms, stinky with sweat, sports, semen, and never-washed sheets, banging girls to these rhythms. Declan used to be one of those invincible boys. But at 43, 
the way his life was going with Ruth, he felt he needed to borrow some of that fire to remember what it was like to be ablaze. The CD had stayed in Declan's car for about a month, became the soundtrack of his drives to and from school. The cuss words stopped grating and he learned the other lyrics without even trying. Then one afternoon, Trudy, the much younger history teacher with no man, had car trouble, so he offered her a ride. The music came on full blast and she looked at him like he was a pervert, like she was ready to report him to the principal. Declan had fumbled with the volume knob and eject button. Sorry, sorry, he'd stuttered, tempted to crack the disc in two. Trudy had smiled in a pouty way and said, you're versatile, Mr. Rouchard. It was a dare. You're old, but are you cold? Declan plucked the disc from the shelf and headed to the car to wait for Ruth. So he was demonic. Fine then. He would go to night service with her, but along the way, he'd teach her what demonic really sounded like. There were so many cars Declan had to park down the street. It was the second night of a seven-day crusade, and a huge red and white Ringling Brothers-style tent occupied the church parking lot. Oh, look, a circus, Declan said as they left the car. He couldn't resist throwing some pecong at Ruth. She stuck her nose even high in the air. She crunched away through the gravel toward a group of old ladies lurking in a huddle at the side of the stage. Declan guessed they were part of the choir. All fat, the long white robes and belts of golden braid made their stomachs look pregnant. They embraced Ruth, two by two, rocking her back and forth, side to side, patting her back as if she were a baby they were trying to belch. When was the last time she'd hugged him, her husband? Then he watched them turn like synchronized swimming whales to scowl at him. What had she told them? What sad story was she telling them now? About his clothes? The music? Poor, poor Ruth, married to that terrible, terrible Declan. He smiled and waved as if he hadn't registered the bad vibes. In truth, now that Declan was actually here, he did feel awkward in his stag t-shirt. Like a child wearing a superhero costume to a wedding, then regretting it. Everyone seemed to be pointing at him. Oh, a soul in need, their faces seemed to see. Declan squared his jaw and looked around for something to criticize. Hmm. The place was shabby. It seemed Bishop had spent all the tithes and offerings on that Audi parked outside. Imagine, Ruth gave that joker 10% of her monthly salary. 10%! That could help with the mortgage Declan was now carrying alone, like a friggin' cross. A few feet away, under the glare of some precariously hung fluorescent lights, Two youths in shirt and tie wrestled with rusty folding chairs. Another boy stood under one of the lights with a broom, sweeping the bulbs, trying to coax them to light from end to end. A few decades ago, that might have been Declan, in the Jumping Jesus Church, just like this one, where his grandma had worshipped. 
there was always one in Pleasant View, taking pe- poor people's money to fatten the pastor, giving false hope in return. Where was the pastor and all that money when Declan's grandpa had died? When his grandma in her 60s had to start scrubbing shit out of other people's drawers to make ends meet. When on the worst days of mommy's arthritis, Declan and his sister Judith had to fight up with the brown stains themselves. Declan's pulse pounded with rage and shame. He had to look away from the boy. At the front of the tent, a small plywood stage had been erected, made smaller by a massive carved podium. Gargoyles eating grapes, it looked like, but it could just as well have been angels. Who knew were these superstitious freaks? Ruth's voice came from behind, startling him. Um, Bishop says they have seats for us in front. Come now. Declan considered pointing out that she was breaking another part of the deal they'd made about tonight. They were supposed to lay low near the back, where he could slip out now and then when he needed fresh air, or when he couldn't stand any more of the somersaults and vampire slaying brought on by the Holy Spirit. But Ruth stood before him, chewing her cuticles. Declan felt a fresh that pinch of regret about the t-shirt and the music in the car, so he followed her to the front row. He made it through the scripture reading and opening prayer. He even maintained his smile when the deacon reminded everyone of the night's theme, saving marriages, one soul at a time. That's when Declan glanced around and noticed the male-female, male-female seating configuration. The audience was composed of couples. (laughs) He grunted and locked his arms across his chest, debating if to feel tricked or not. Ruth had made it sound like an ordinary night service, like they were just coming to pray. She hadn't mentioned the sermon would be focused on marriage. But then again, Declan considered. This was appropriate for a couple celebrating their fifth anniversary. And by now, Ruth surely knew better than to think she could comfort him. What she didn't know, Declan smirked inwardly, was that he was intent on her reconversion back to Michelle tonight. He began his crusade by whispering in her ear, So, how much you think that Audi costs? Papa, yo, that's a fancy suit bishop wearing there. What color that is? Pimpish purple? Any young girls pregnant for him yet? Over and over, getting nastier and nastier, Declan peppered Ruth for almost an hour. And yet she ignored him. She was jubilant during praise and worship, jumping, waving, prancing. It wasn't an act or something she was doing just to annoy him. And when they sang Roll, Jordan, Roll, the woman was practically rolling her waist. Declan hadn't seen her so animated since that last carnival Tuesday. A whirring sound, an unsettling sensation came over him, as if he was trapped in a centrifuge. Something gritty swirled in his stomach while something liquid rose to his chest. He felt nauseous. Maybe it was the crowd, 
being packed in shoulder to shoulder like that, he'd always been a little claustrophobic. But Ruth, she danced. And the more she did, the more seasick he felt, the more he gnawed inside his cheek. But Declan couldn't look away. If only she would stop moving. If only she wouldn't glow so much. If only she didn't seem so alive. He grabbed her underarm and reeled her in. This is what you just come here for? To whine like you in a fet? Ruth wrenched free, continued rejoicing. Somewhere between shout to the Lord and make a joyful noise, it hit Declan that he'd always known this, but had never wanted to actually see it and have his suspicions confirmed. Ruth was far different with these people that she, than she was at home. She was happy. She'd taken her happiness, something that was once his, and given it to these strangers. It was the worst betrayal he'd ever known. He tried to even the scales, Trudy, but that had never made him as happy as Ruth was now. A pang of loneliness, like a sudden foul smell, made his eyes sting and burn. Testimony started, and Declan was relieved they could finally sit. Over a crackling, wheezing sound system, people droned on about how the Lord had changed their lives for the better. Declan forgot himself for a bit as he listened. Sex, drugs, booze, kleptomania, gripping stuff. These people seemed to Declan eager to prove some kind of scientific correlation between how sinful they were in the past and how much Jesus loved them now. It was especially hard to laugh at the illiterates. Like the man who testified he was a born and raised Hindu, but his life changed the day he heard the story of the Portugal son. And the Dogla lady, lady who claimed she was a former prostitute, but even in those days, between jobs, she'd studied the Book of Palms. These testimonies comforted Declan. Yes, he had Trudy, but he'd never been as depraved or as foolish and reckless as any of these folks. He was a good, educated, respectable man. You see, he said, nudging Ruth's ribs, you call me a demon for wearing a t-shirt and playing a CD. But I never yet do anything like these people, your so-called friends. Ruth answered from the side of her mouth, not taking her eyes off the stage. At least they're not hiding anything. I'm not hiding anything, he said. It had suddenly become noisy as next to them, Sister Yoland was prattling in tongues. Oh, really? Then prove it. Why you don't go up? Ruth shout whispered in his ear. It took Declan a moment to realize she was referring to the altar call the bishop had just made for any spouse who wished to be born again. Look, girl, don't be stupid, he said, then turned his back to her. As he faced the open side of the tent, a cool night breeze reached him. He leveled his arm on the back of the chair, propped his head, and closed his eyes. He longed to be released. A brain-splitting squeal came from the speaker boxes at the front. Declan jerked upright and stuck his fingers deep into his ears. 
He turned around just in time to see Bishop Roy Stone T. Scantlebury with Jericho's alive like Mercury descending from the stage. The bishop shimmied and danced on the first stair, grimacing with holy passion till his unibrow convulsed. But a worm in a beaker of acid is what Declan saw. Scantlebury gargled his words like Listerine before spitting them out so hard every line ended in the same phonetic syllable. And God said to me, he said, Roy Stone, I'm about to give you a word for a special woman here tonight. There, Bishop paused, giving the congregation time to cheer. Some clapped, some stamped their feet, some swayed. He hopped to the middle step and continued. This word is for a woman unevenly yoked, tied to a man who don't know Jesus. Sister, no matter what you do, your man just won't believe. You know why? Why? Came the high-pitched response. All the women in the audience were yelling in unison. But seated next to Ruth, Declan heard only her plaintive voice. He stole a glimpse at her. She sat there gaping at the bishop, unblinking, as tears spilled onto her cheeks. She was thinking about them, wasn't she? Her face, her tears. Just like that awful evening, that last time, when he'd come home from work and found her on the toilet crying, he'd known right away she'd lost another one. And now, just as then, Declan's forearm twitched with the urge to pull out his kerchief and wipe her face. But he was afraid to touch her. The bishop was now on the last day. See, your husband is a man afflicted. Blame the devil, sister. Don't blame your man. For no matter his faults, the Bible say, he's still the head of your household. Amen, amen. The baritone voices took over. Declan was silent. He hadn't acted like the head of anything when he'd remained at the bathroom door and urged his wife, come on, stop crying. We'll get through this one too. Before escaping to their bedroom and locking the door behind him, locking her out. As if she was sharing in the memory, Ruth turned to Declan and met his eyes. His impulse was to break the stair, but he found he couldn't. They hadn't looked, really looked at each other in ages. He saw no disdain or judgment in his wife's gaze. Only a skewed silhouette of himself stretched over her dark pupils. He stared past it, as if down a tunnel, searching for Michelle. And he thought he glimpsed her, her love at least. She was still there, hovering, misty. What was she reading in his eyes? Love? Shame? The truth he couldn't say? That he'd left her in the bathroom because he'd felt his body folding in on itself like a broken umbrella? And that he'd ended up in a heap on the bedroom floor, crying too? Because after three lost babies, he was angry with her and with God for putting him through a fourth. Now, 
Declan dared not breathe. The movement of his chest might interrupt whatever it was taking place between him and his long-lost Michelle. Was this the moment she'd come back and forgive him? He wanted permission to forgive himself. Then Bishop made landfall and bellowed into the microphone, God says, woman, thou art loosed. I will finish the good work I have begun in you. And tonight and forevermore, I will loose your man. Ruth ripped her eyes from Declan's and launched from the chair, bawling openly now, waving both arms at the bishop as if he were a rescue plane. Declan jumped up as well, a reflex. For the past three years, they'd been castaways on opposite sides of the same empty island. But now, now that they'd finally made contact, he couldn't let her leave. Not again. He wanted to shout, Michelle, look at me, me, not Scantlebury. We don't need him. But Declan stood foolishly, arms dangling when he knew they should be reaching. Garbled instructions were being yelled over the mic, and Declan lost sight of the bishop. The open space between the front row and the stage grew dark with jostling bodies. For a moment, the crowd seemed to swallow Ruth, but then she burst through and flung her arms around Declan, stapling their bodies together. The circle contracted, and it seemed a thousand hands fell upon him. Thud after thud shook his back. He wriggled, but couldn't free himself. The centrifuge started spinning again. He heard nothing but a dull roar, saw nothing but shadows. Then Bishop Scantlebury's face appeared. Ruth let go, but the bishop's abysmal glare held Declan in place. He planted a palm on Declan's forehead and gave a mighty push. Or did he? Declan felt himself falling backwards, but had no time to panic. He felt himself pass through arms and chairs and legs and reams of memories. All he knew when he hit the ground was that his wife was now on top of him. He was back in her arms. Declan slowly came to. Where was he? Had he fallen asleep on the carpet in front of the TV? Above, one face, Michelle. She kissed his forehead. He lay still and smiled at his love, his eyes finding their focus. Then she said, praise God. And Declan sat up as if released by a spring. It was slow and fast at the same time, the remembering, the feeling of having his insides scalpeled out, of losing Michelle again. There was only Ruth, stroking his face and saying, it's okay, babe. You were slain in the spirit. Praise God. Grief, hot and red, rushed through Declan. He wanted to cry. He wanted to bawl. He wanted to howl. He wanted to rip his clothes. He tried to stand. Yolanda and Otley rushed to help, cooing and lifting him by the underarms like a newborn. Declan shoved them away, handed Ruth the car keys and staggered out of the tent. The CD player remained off. Ruth was driving. Her voice filled the car as she tinkled, tinkled like an overwound ballerina, whirling to her own distorted melody. 
Declan sat in the passenger seat, taut and still tightening. His mind strummed one chord, the same chord, apology, apology. She owed him an apology for tricking him into attending the service, for having the pastor and her friends ambush him, for them crowding him till he couldn't breathe or hitting him on the head or whatever they'd done to get him on the floor like a blasted fool. For the past three years, for everything. So what did you see? Ruth asked, reaching across to squeeze his hand. What? When you were out, what did the Holy Spirit show you? The Apostle John saw the whole book of Revelation. There's no shame in it. You can tell me. Declan withdrew his hand, gripped his knee. But some people don't see anything, she continued. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that tonight you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you were on the floor and I was holding you and Bishop asked, I heard you say yes. Things will be different now for us, Deck. You're a new man now. The high green walls and electronic gate of Hibiscus Park came into view, about 50 feet ahead. Ordinarily, Declan would have picked up the gate remote by now, 40 feet. He would have pressed it by now, 30 feet. But this time, he said, stop, 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 stop. Ruth mashed down on the brakes, looking worried. Pull over and park, he said. She did, then leaned toward him. You want to throw up? That's happened to some people after. Stabbing the switch, stabbing the switch for the overhead lights, Declan said. At first, I really thought this was a phase, you know, Michelle. At the sound of her old name, she recoiled in her seat. Yeah, for this conversation, you're Michelle. You could go back to being whoever you want after. Declan felt like he was sitting on top of something huge and powerful, gripping its reins, trying to restrain it before it trampled them both into the mud. Yet his wife stared at him exactly the way some of his students did in class, uncomprehending, forehead twisted and knotty. And just as he did with them, Declan tried not to doubt himself. I thought it was all about that last loss after we were trying so hard. Maybe you thought God was punishing you, or, or maybe you thought if you prayed harder, he would do something for us. I didn't know for sure, but did you ever ask? Michelle, I ask you all the time why you're hiding in that church. No. Did you ever ask me how I felt about what happened? Well, I could see you were sad. That's natural. But each time you got over it, went back to normal. I figured that last time would be the same. That's why I thought you blame me, Hent. You decided something was wrong with me. You resented me, she said, voice quivering. Come on, he urged through gritted teeth. He didn't want to answer that question, to put himself in the wrong. Not when he still had so much righteous steam to vent. Yeah, she said, her features curdling. That's exactly what you said that last time. When I was on the toilet crying my guts out, you said that same thing. Come on. Like I was being melodramatic. 
Declan made a steeple with his fingers. Michelle, you know I was disappointed too. I just meant we could try again. I didn't know what else to, we did, remember? At least I did. I tried again. She looked past Declan as if there was something out there behind him. He had to stop himself from glancing over his shoulder. But anyway, she continued, God knew what he was doing. You weren't ready to be a father. You could barely be a husband. De Declan grabbed the handbrake. She was right, but he didn't want to hear it out loud. From who? All he wanted to hear was sorry. With his thumb, he began a secret manic clicking of the engage button. Oh, it's so. Well, tonight, your precious know-it-all bishop said plenty about being a proper wife. When last you behaved like that? When last you had sex with me? When last you had sex with somebody else? That is the question. She flung the car door open and got out. For a few seconds, she stood there in the middle of the road, as if trying to decide what to do next. Then she headed for the pavement. As she rounded the front of the car, Declan leapt out and blocked her path. He put his hands on her shoulders. She tried to shrug them off, but Declan wouldn't let her. They began to struggle. Right there under the street lamp, in the shadow of the mint green walls of Hibiscus Park, mere feet from their own gate. They wrestled and clawed at each other. Neither spoke, but breathy grunts escaped them as she pushed and he pulled. He got hold of her wrists and clamped them behind her back. She kept writhing. She was slippery. She tried to bite him, his chest, but then Declan felt her give up and go limp in his arms. Cautiously, he let her go. She was panting. Her expression was softer than it had been in the car. Her eyes, milky. She shifted her fingers landing like a butterfly on Declan's cheek, as she said. All this confusion, we could put it behind us now, Deck. Tonight changed everything. We should go inside and be together. Whatever was wrong with you down there, it's healed. Declan's hand shot out. He slapped his wife with a force that flung them apart, her against the bonnet of the car, him against the green wall. His eyes searched the pavement in a panic, as if it wasn't he who'd done it, as if there was some invisible, malevolent spirit to blame. But no, they were alone. Declan turned from Ruth then, began stomping down the pavement, away from the car, back the way they'd come toward Pleasant View. Soon, he was running, sprinting, chest up, fingers pointed, heart pounding. The closest place was his sister, Judith's, Judith's house. Small, cramped with her two boys, but tonight, it would do. God, what Ruth had done to him in the church, what he'd just done to her. Declan knew he had to go. He had to leave the townhouse tonight, tonight, tonight. He had no choice. He no longer knew the people who lived there. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow CocoPod 
and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow CocoPod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms.